MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Welcome to episode 142 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, October 11th, and I'm your host, Pete Strzok. Hey, Pete. I'm Allison Gill. We have lots of news this week, always, including updates on the New York Trump Organization civil fraud trial. Lots of stuff going on there, lots of uh, witness uh, questioning happening. And we have lots of filings in the Fulton County DA election interference case as well. Plus, George Santos's campaign treasurer has pled guilty and says she's willing to cooperate with the government in his federal indictment. Don't forget, George Santos has been federally indicted. And on top of all that, Trump has filed to dismiss a few of his lawsuits as well as a motion to dismiss the Manhattan DA's case against him for falsifying business records. Plus, we'll cover an IRS lien on Rudy's property for unpaid taxes. The House Republicans in disarray, the seeming recurring story of this podcast, and prosecutors in Arizona now investigating Trump-world efforts to overturn the 2020 election in that state. But first, we have new patrons to thank. Somer Souter, Patricia, Steve Cohen, Riz Sweet, Shannon Mutino, Tama DePriest, Ginny B, Jennifer J, Sony Rose Grant, Jean Martin, Petey Pie, Renee, Lily B, Mrs. Boots, Deborah Nally, Marcel, and Bob Sutherland. Thank all of you so much. I am just extraordinarily humbled at the support, and you truly, you are the folks who make this program possible. You are part of the family that allows us to put this on every week to go through and develop all these stories. And we simply could not do this program without you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, and with that, let's, uh, Allison, let's head up to New York. So Sounds first good. thing on deck is we've got a, we've got a gag order. The first one out of all the various uh, <laughs> BS games that Trump has been playing, pushing the limits of what he's saying online and in speeches, we finally have a gag order from Judge Arthur Engron, who rebuked Donald Trump after Trump attacked Ingron's clerk in a social media post last Tuesday, and Ingron forbade the parties from making any future comments about his staff, and this is from uh, the judge's ruling, quote, this morning, one of the defendants posted on social media, in a social media account, a disparaging, untrue, and personally identifying post about a member of my staff. Although I have since ordered the post deleted, and apparently it was, it was also emailed out to millions of other recipients. Ingrin continued, personal attacks of any member of my court staff are unacceptable, inappropriate, and I will not tolerate them. Mm. 
And so, you know, again, we, we've been wondering and talking about for, for several episodes now about what it was going to take for anybody on, the, uh, on these various trials to be the first to bring any sort of gag order or limitations on Trump pushing the boundaries across the board. I, you know, this is the first. I don't think it'll be the last. And, uh, you know, in, in D.C., uh, you know, Judge Chutkin, I think, is very close to uh, potentially ruling or putting some sort of limits. But, you know, this was one of those red lines. I mean, you can, you can push your luck if you're talking about the judge or if you're talking about a prosecutor. But when you go after a professional staff, somebody who is not an elected official or an appointed official, I, you're really crossing into uh, off-limits territory. And it was it was not at all surprising to me that Judge Engeron uh, imposed this gag order. I think, you know, like Trump, and again, he's a bully. And the minute you stand up to a bully and slap him down, more likely than not, they'll back off. And, you know, if he chooses to continue, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, it was not surprising for me to see that. And again, very glad to see it. Yeah, me me too. And it was just like right from the bench as well. Uh, this this ruling, this this gag order, partial gag order, we should call it, because he was very careful to say my staff. Um, you you, it's unacceptable. Any member of my court staff, you cannot uh, discuss. And Trump took that very literally. He hasn't said anything about the court's staff or Judge Engeron's staff, but he has continued to attack the judge, Judge Engeron. And I know a lot of people were like, but I thought he put a gag order on. He did, but it's a partial gag order. It's limited to his staff. He didn't say me or my staff. Uh, He just said my staff. And so I think that's why we've seen additional comments coming from from Donald Trump, uh, you know, about specifically the judge and the prosecutors in this case and other cases uh, and, you know, New York in general, like he, it was just very specifically about Judge Engeron's staff. So that's why I think we're seeing what we're seeing. And I don't see any um, so far violation of that limited gag order, but it did stop. So I thought that was interesting. I figured, uh, you know, I, I that's why I was like looking forward to Judge Chutkin's hearing on October 16th about the the D.C. case and the and the limited gag order filed there. You know, I was like, well, if she puts the gag order in place, he's going to just immediately violate it. He didn't immediately violate it in this case. So maybe some of his lawyers are getting through to him on some level. Uh, But uh, how long that will last is really anybody's guess. Yeah. And if I had to bet on the over under how long it lasts, I would bet on the under because, you know, he Trump, uh, the civil fraud shoot is going to go ahead this week after Trump lost a bid last Friday to halt the proceedings while he's fighting a pretrial ruling that could strip him of Trump Tower and other marquee properties. An appeals court judge rebuffed Trump's push to pause the New York trial, but agreed to leave him in control of his holdings for now. That decision, after an emergency hearing last Friday afternoon, came five days into the closely watched trial. Now, interestingly enough, New York State Deputy Solicitor General Judy Vail told the appeals court judge that, look, James's office already offered to keep the business licenses as is until after the trial, so he's not really asking for anything that we haven't already agreed to do. But in any event, the court last week rejected uh, Trump's last-minute effort to delay the trial just days before it began. So, you know, not not great news. I think, uh, you know, again, we, we, Trump 
as this case moves forward, I mean, he was already in court, you know, pouting and grumbling about not having a jury trial because his attorneys fucked up and didn't check the right box to get him a jury trial. But as this, uh, as this trial proceeds, and certainly if and when there is any sort of ruling and adverse finding, I, you know, whatever whatever sort of gag orders or limitations exist, I, I would expect that would be the time that Trump's going to to explode. And, you know, certainly some of the, the testimony last week, the final day of the first week of trial last Friday... Lawyers for uh, AG Letitia James' office continued their grilling of Jeffrey McConney, who is a former Trump Organization senior vice president. In a dramatic finale, McConney admitted that ex-Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg asked for his help in committing tax fraud. He said he kept engaging in this illegal conduct because Weisselberg was his boss, and if he refused, he would probably have lost his job. McConaughey conceded that the golf course valuations routinely included what he called a quote-unquote brand premium of 30% and eventually 50% beginning in 2013. And finally, there was a note on financial documents saying that everything had to be cleared by DJT. So, you know, there is not only this, Allison, this, this very compelling testimony, and they built it to sort of a finale. He wasn't really answering. They brought out prior testimony by McConaughey and said, look, you know, you've said this earlier. And that's when he sort of like, again, last day of his testimony said, yeah, you know, it was, I, I was engaging in this behavior. I kept doing it. Weisselberg would have fired me if I didn't do it. So it was a very well-timed, there was a lot of stuff last week where it was just very sort of almost down in the weeds going through financial records and not a lot of drama. But, you know, I'll be darned if the prosecution didn't find a way to bring this to a sort of dramatic conclusion at the end of the week, at the end of his testimony. Yeah. And, and going back to the um, New York Attorney General agreeing to let him keep his business licenses, like that was already established. And that's when Trump filed his complaint uh, with the appellate court. Look, they're trying to dissolve my businesses. I need more time. We need to stay this trial until it's all figured out. He used that lie, basically, as an excuse to try to get the tr the trial to stop. And there's actually new reporting out in Rolling Stone uh, today Pete, that it's been in discussions, according to sources familiar uh, among Trump's legal team, that losing this case is a foregone conclusion and that they are going scorched earth to try to generate something that they can appeal on, which is what we sort of assumed or actually what we actually totally assumed was happening. And then with regard to this document that says these financial documents from these are from Mazars that say, you know, on these uh, valuations, DJT gets final approval. It's handwritten on these uh, submissions, on these, I guess, draft versions of his financial disclosure statements or, uh, you know, financial valuations that, you know, I have long said, going all the way back to when they were trying to get Mazar's stuff in the House Ways and Means Committee, that the Mazar's documents are far more important to these prosecutions than his tax returns even are. And I and I said, there has got to be a document that Mazars has that limits their liability and shows that it is Donald Trump who has the final say on all of this. And we saw that. I've long been talking about this or those documents, and we saw one of them in court this past week. And I, I kind of jumped up and down and <laughs> I was like, there it is. There it is. The note that says that DJT gets the final call. On all of these numbers. And of course, you know, with regard and back to regard to the, you know, brand premium, he's been crying on True Social. I never used brands. I never my brand is worth a zillion bazillion dollars, but I never used it in these calculations. 
And we knew that that was untrue when Tish James filed her lawsuit, although, uh, you know, over a year ago, uh, you may think two years ago now, because he was using brand valuations. And now we have McConney testifying to that and saying that Weisselberg instructed him to commit tax fraud. And, and the reason he went along with it was because Weisselberg was his boss and he was afraid he was going to lose his job. So hell of a piece of testimony from McConney this last week. Um, just absolutely devastating to his case. And I think all those kinds of details seem to be getting lost in the bigger picture of 91 total felony counts. Um, it's it's a lot to keep track of, but I thought it was important that we raise those details today on this show because they are things we've been looking at and talking about now for a long time. And so uh, it was great to see that evidence come out in court. And that testimony is just absolutely crushing to any Trump defense. But, you know, as we know now, he doesn't really have one. He's expecting to lose this case and is hoping to bait the judge on something he can, you know, use in appeal. And th- and that's always good. That's long been our, our assumption, but it's now been uh, confirmed from sources reported by Rolling Stone. Yeah. And I think Judge Ingeron hopefully is well aware of that. I mean, these things certainly, if there were a jury there, this is exactly the kind of thing that would really capture the jury's attention. But for for a matter of law, these are really key points. And that is something that between the judge and what he is taking into account whenever he comes up with his decision as a finder of fact, and then certainly anything on an appellate level during or after the trial, these are the sorts of facts that are going to be very compelling to sustain you know, if there is a conviction that are going to sustain that conviction through whatever, you know, sort of legal maneuvering Trump tries to engage with afterwards. But it it is, to your point, regardless of what happens with the outcome of this trial, having these things in the record is so important because it just cuts away at all this, you know, the, the nonsense about his, you know, how wealthy he is. And he was on social media today complaining that, you know, I think Fortune took him off the the list of the you know whatever the cutoff oh, was Forbes for their wealthiest. Forbes four hundred. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, the Forbes four hundred that uh, you know the corrupt Forbes organization doesn't you know have the facts and they've removed me without you know appropriate basis from this list. It clearly the ego hit that he is taking by having the truth come out that this is just such a projected bunch of nonsense mm. is. Is has its own worth, right? That is the historical record of establishing this is important, separate and distinct from whatever comes out as a result of this trial. So I'm mm-hmm. glad to see it. And we're, you know, we got more more witnesses to come. Yeah. And not only that, Pete, but the Manhattan District Attorney, because this is a New York Attorney General civil fraud case, but the Manhattan District Attorney has said his investigation into the into Trump's personal tax fraud is continuing. Now, you'll remember he secured a 17 count conviction uh, you know, for tax fraud uh, for the Trump organization, not any individuals, uh, and got Weisselberg to Weisselberg went to jail for four months uh, in, in, you know, in a, by agreeing to plead guilty and, and testify in that case. But there is an ongoing open investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg into Donald Trump's personal tax fraud liability. And this sort of information can be used and probably is being used in those investigations, not to mention, you know, where the hell is the IRS and the feds on this? This is also information that they either already have or could potentially use in those cases. And so it is important that it comes out in the record, not just for, you know, posterity. We know he's an asshole and a fraud, but that other other uh, agencies 
uh, and prosecutors can be using this information, and I'm sure already have it. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, I've grumbled about it here and on uh, other other forums, and and uh, you know, commentating on the news that I do not understand. Because remember, Letitia James referred the facts of her investigation to both the IRS and to the Southern District of New York, saying, "I believe that they're federal felonies." That I have found. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what? And then, you know, that was on a, on a panel with uh, Russ Butner, who amazing reporter from the New York Times, who won the Pulitzer Prize from back in 2018, when the New York Times took apart both Fred Trump and then Donald's taking over the financial empire and was looking at the valuation games that they play. And I mean, it's a pretty straightforward game, right? On the one hand, if you're trying to get favorable financing, you overinflate the value of the properties because lenders are going to give you a advantageous interest rate and better terms on the loan. And then when it comes time to paying taxes, you radically undervalue it because you want to pay as little tax as possible. And identifying just radical, huge swings of valuation because they're playing this game. So there's nothing new about it. He's in trouble with New York State for doing it. But the question is, in my mind, exactly what you said. Where is the IRS? And I, you know, what, what, you know, well, Russ they're is indicting saying, well, there Hunter might be Biden f- for, well, right. Not, they're busy. Not no, yet, like, right. But- <laughs> there's plenty of passion amongst IRS investigators, apparently, to get to the bottom of whatever Hunter Biden may or may not have done criminally. But where, where is this? You know, we can't even, the IRS, you know, they're mandated to do, they do mandatory by policy, mandatory audits of every president and their taxes, except for Trump. Well, it's too hard, so we're not going to do it. But that can't, I, you know, what federal government sitting there throwing up its hands and saying it's too hard? I, I, I can't, I can't get my arms around being comfortable with that. And let's hope. I mean, I'm sure some of it, you know, I'd have no doubt that Bill Barr, you know, putting putting pressure on uh, Berman, the the U.S. attorney, may well have had some role in quashing any sort of investigation. But these are new allegations. So, yeah. on the one hand, I'm hopeful. They are being investigated. They're being done professionally. And as a result, we are not hearing anything. But as we've talked about, there is always a point in an investigation when you start subpoenaing individuals, when you start bringing people into the grand jury, they aren't obligated to keep those requests secret. So you start having little ripples of that investigation. You know, people come out of the grand jury and either they or their attorneys talk to somebody at the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or wherever else, and you get little hints of reporting that something's going on. There has been no hint whatsoever nope. in any forum that I've seen indicating the slightest bit of investigative activity by the IRS or the federal government into Donald Trump's financial strike. And whether it's tax fraud, whether it's you know falsifying records to get you know financial institution fraud type violations to get loans under false information, there has not been a single peep of reporting anywhere that no. anything is going on, and I can't understand that. At the beginning, sure, you're going to try and keep it quiet, but at some point, just start going out and assembling the information. Well, no, like we knew when they brought McConaughey in for the state. We knew when they brought uh, Weisselberg in for the state um, because their lawyers came out and said so. I don't know that anybody's directly asked um, folks like McConaughey or or Weisselberg if they've been contacted by the feds, uh, but there hasn't been a single ounce of reporting. And it's about time. It's about that time that we should have it. So we'll keep our eye out for it and we'll let you know if we hear anything. Uh, But so far, all quiet on the Western Front. And that worries me. I mean, I do, you know, there's some question about, you know, whether philosophically the the Garland's Department of Justice said, you know what, we've got enough on our plate on January 6th. We're going to, in terms of looking backwards, looking into the history, in the past. Yeah, but it's New York. This isn't the D.C. U.S. attorney. 
Agreed, agreed. But and it's 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 and it's potential federal crimes in New York. So it's I think again, you know, at some point, District of New York, they all they don't they, they don't take their orders from Maine Justice. You know, come on, what the fuck? Uh, well, well, I I don't. I am the longer this goes without the slightest hint of any sort of investigation, the more I get worried. And look, I it's hard, right? It's a complex it's a complex picture. We had. You know, like we were going through Trump's on, on Mueller's team, we were going through Trump's financial records and his disclosure statements, his mandated, you know, what he disclosed in terms of his all his financial connections on those federal forms. There are well over 500 LLCs, uh, limited liability corporations, things that he did business under in some way, shape or form. So no question about it. It's tough. But it, it tough can't be an excuse not to do anything. No, right. And, and we might see something uh, in a couple of years when Jack Smith comes out with his final report about finances uh, and the Trump organization that can't have been missed on him or if he handed them off uh, to someone else because they didn't necessarily have to do with, you know, because he is investigating like his PACs, for example, and you can't untangle his PACs from his tax fraud. So it'll be interesting to see uh, maybe that's where we get our answers, because as a special counsel, he has to report his declinations and handoffs to other, if you remember Appendix D in the Mueller report, I think of 14 cases that Mueller handed off, including the one um, that uh, ended up being charged to the Manhattan DA's office for the hush money payments with Stormy Daniels, which we'll talk about in a bit, too. We have a lot more to get to, though. I mean, there's so much going on. Again, we'll keep our eye out for you, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said... Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. 
There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We have some more patrons to thank. If you want to become a patron, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod. That's A-I-S-L-E 45-P-O-D. You'll get these episodes ad-free and early. And you get to say that you are supporting independent journalism and Pete Strzok swearing. Because if you are a patron at the $2 up level, you get to hear uh, the bonus episode that's just for patrons. You get twice as many episodes from us. And it gets pretty blue. So let's thank Alec, Kate's proud dad, Bernard Hogan-Camp, Jamie Kallstrom, NBV, Kate Bra- uh, K. Brackett, Stacey Kildall, Joan Robbins, Eric Johnson, Angela Self, Joshua Mock, Pete from over there, uh, Diane Hunter, Laura Saba, Sharon Tobois, or T- uh, Toboy, maybe, Charlotte Parrott, nurse anesthesiologist, thanks for your service, and Holly Barbo. So thank you very much. Again, you make this show go. We can't do it without you. Um, Let's head down to Fulton County, my friend. Um, First off, we know Scott Hall, right? He had a plea deal go down. He pled guilty. We'll talk about him in a second. But there's some new reporting out that Fonnie Willis has reached out to offer plea deals basically to everyone except the tippy top of the coup. So it's and they might as well have just listed the people that she didn't reach out to instead of the people she did. She reached out to <laughs> the Coffee County folks. She reached out to the um, the people who intimidated Ruby Freeman. She reached out to the fraudulent electors and all them. Uh, she there is no reporting that she reached out to folks like Rudy, Sidney Powell, Donald Trump, Jeffrey Clark, Johnny Smith, like that whole top top of the coup. So um, but. Apparently, Mike Roman has turned down an offer for a plea deal because he didn't want to, like Scott Hall, pled guilty to five misdemeanors. He wanted to not have any crimes uh, charged. Uh, and uh, so that that plea deal did not go forward. I don't know if they're still in negotiations. I'm sure they are. But that we are down to 18 now instead of 19 co-defendants with Scott Hall. And I'm assuming we will see some additional plea agreements. Uh, but remember, he who pleads first gets the best deal, and that has that that seal's been broken. Also, a second lawyer for for Rudy Giuliani has dumped his Fulton County case. We know that last week one of his lawyers withdrew from representing him in Fulton County, and now another one has. Um, gosh, I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that he hasn't paid a bill. I don't think in in a couple of years. Um, I, you know, I think he's broke, uh, or at least hiding a bunch of his money. And I, I, th- I feel like he's afraid that if he pays like trust point or if he pays, uh, these attorneys, the millions that he owes the people, but Rudy, Ruby Freeman and Shea Miles go, look, he's got money. He's got it somewhere. Um, so I, that's, he's been dumped again. And we know his, his attorney, Robert Costello is suing him for 1.4 million also in unpaid bills. Uh, Fonnie Willis has sent something called certificates of need for six witnesses. Uh, that means that they are out of state. And so that's just a process you have to go through to call a witness to trial. She wants them to testify in the October 23rd trial of Cheese and Kraken. That's um, Sidney Powell and Kenneth Cheesebro. And by the way, his nickname is The Cheese. Um, that's, you know, I'm not like just, you know, making that up to make fun of him. That's his actual nickname. And she, in the Kraken, she came up with that. So I'm not name shaming here. Um, uh, So those certificates of need, two of the ones that stand out to me are Linwood and good old Boris Epstein, um, along with four others. So those certificates of need went out. And then, uh, I mean, 
I mean, she kind of has to do this, right? And this is coming up very quickly because of the what what they call what Judge McAfee refers to as the speedies, which are the speedy trial uh, folks. I almost like want to call them the zoomies, which is what my cat gets every day at three p.m. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sydney Sydney Powell and uh, Kenneth Cheesebro have the zoomies. They want to go first, and so their trial begins October twenty third. So she's reached out to these six witnesses. Yeah. And what's really going to be interesting is certainly in the case, I'm very curious about what Boris Epstein does, because remember, we won't get to watch all of these trials and see who testifies and how they testify. But there's a lot of speculation that the, you know, at the federal level, Jack Smith has co-conspirators one through six, one through five of them are pretty solidly identified, but there's some question about the six and who that is. And the sort of one of the leading candidates is that it's Boris Epstein. So if you look at him and his, you know, he may have to show up, but I am very curious to see to what extent he uh, gets up on the stand and simply takes the fifth. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll see because, again, you know, this is it's sworn testimony and whatever they're saying, they say, especially if you are under any sort of scrutiny in other jurisdictions, and a lot of these folks are, things that you say under oath are going to carry across, you know, all these different jurisdictions. So. I'm curious what Epstein does. I mean, it's not the kind of thing, and you know, whether they make him appear and take the fifth or whether if he represents to his attorney, say, look, if called, he is simply going to take the fifth. Do they make him do that anyway, just because of how that looks to the jury, even though it's like, look, you can't take an adverse inference. If it, in a criminal trial, if somebody's taking the fifth, you know, do they, do they make him show up anyway? But, you know, it's, uh, you know, six of them. So uh, we'll see how that We'll see how that plays out. But like you said, it's soon. This is fast. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about it, but before you know it, before, you know, before we're all sitting down eating turkey, this is all going to have played out in all likelihood. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is probably going to be a situation like Bernard Carrick's testimony where his lawyer, Tim Parlatore or Parlator or Parlatori, however you say it, Tim, let's just call him Tim. Some guy, I'm a fire. Who are you who can summon up fire without Tinder nor Flint? <laughs> He is an enchanter. Some call him Tim. Uh, we're going to have a couple of Monty Python quotes in this show today. One of us brought one of them brought to us by uh, Judge McAfee. I'll get to that in a minute. But we know Bernard Carrick's lawyer said, "Look, he's not coming in. He's going to testify. He's going to plead the fifth all the way through unless you give him immunity." So there's probably immunity talks going on with these other six witnesses, these out-of-state witnesses. Uh, and of course, again, it's important to note that just because you're given immun immunity for testimony in a state trial, that does not extend to the federal trial. And so that is where some of that complication might come in, where they might have to pick up the phone and say, you know, his his attorney, like Boris Epstein's, for example, would have to say, hey, Jack Smith, am I co-conspirator number six? And if so, can I get some immunity because I'm testifying down here? And I mean, they're going to have to work that out because... You know, if he testifies fully under immunity in Fulton County, that doesn't protect him uh, in the federal case if that if he is indeed co-conspirator six. So we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, also, uh, at a hearing on Thursday, Sidney Powell attorney, her, her attorney, Brian Rafferty, argued that his client was not involved in the Coffee County events and prosecutors may be hiding evidence, Brady material that would exonerate her. Mm. Deputy mm. District Attorney Will Wooten said Rafferty offered zero evidence of misconduct, and he called the accusations outrageous, not true, absurd, and unsupported. So McAfee rejected Powell's motion for to dismiss her her charges on procedural on procedural grounds. Uh, he said he had no authority to dismiss the charges at this stage of the case, and he said it should be up to a jury to determine Powell's guilt or innocence. 
Um, and then a couple of other filings, and then I want to talk about some stuff that uh, Scott Hall might know. Uh, Jeffrey Clark has asked a district court to stay his case, you know, his motion to remove to federal court. He's lost. He asked, The appellate court denied it. He is now asking the district court for a stay. I don't think he'll get it, but that's up in the air right now. And uh, Kenneth Cheesebro, he wanted to dismiss the charges against him, claiming that ADA Wade, one of the state attorneys, failed to take his oath of office before taking action as an ADA. And Judge McAfee, in his decision denying Ken Cheesebro's motion to dismiss, quoted Monty Python. He said, and if this parrot of a motion is somehow not dead yet, the defendant has failed to establish how special ADA Wade's actions resulted in prejudice. So, <laughs> and this was at the end, right? So he goes through all these reasons where, where this, you know, this argument is bullshit. And then at the end, he's like, and if it isn't dead yet, uh, in from the parrot sketch. So I, I thought that that was uh, pretty clever. All right, let's talk about uh, Scott Hall, because ABC News uh, put out some interesting information about some of the evidence that uh, has that they've been able to see. Uh, and so here's kind of what he everyone's like, ah, just a bail bondsman. He worked with the people to breach the voting machines in Coffee County. But there's a lot more to it. He has heavy involvement in the Coffee County voting machine breach, of course. And text messages tie him to Kathy Latham, Misty Hampton, David Perdue, the senator, former senator, Jim Penrose, and Paul Maggio of Sullivan Strickland. Sullivan Strickland is like the cyber ninjas of the South. Um, now, Fulton prosecutors contend that the January 7th breach was done under contract between Powell's Defending the Republic PAC and Sullivan Strickler. And Powell attorney Brian Rafferty's chief argument during the court hearing uh, this past week was that Powell had no role in the plot and Coffee County officials gave approval for the work. The document Rafferty identifies as the invitation letter to copy data is actually a response to an open records request. Now, according to GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigations, and their summary, they included in one of Powell's court filings, she she submitted this, the request actually came, the, the invitation to please breach our voting machines, came from an Atlanta-based attorney named Preston Halliburton, who is a Rudy Giuliani legal team fella. So, okay, that's great. So you're saying you got permission from one of your co-defendants to break into the... Okay. Now, several media outlets, including CNN, have reported that Scott Hall is related to David Bossy, who's the chairman of the conservative group Citizens United, who briefly led the former president's post-election legal challenges. And Bossy's name appears in the Fulton indictment. So he's connected to Bossy. And in late November 2020, David Schaefer, that's the, the head, former head of the GOP, I believe, down in, in Georgia, if not the current. He introduced Scott Hall to a group of individuals, including Robert Sinners, who's an unindicted co-conspirator, and a current spokesperson for the Georgia Secretary of State's office who worked on Trump's campaign. And in the email, Schaefer said Hall was quote, looking into the election on behalf of the former president at Bossy's request. So Hall knows all these folks and can testify about them. He may also know about the letter former Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark wanted to send, the one that allegedly, uh, you know, said that the agency, the DOJ, identified significant concerns that may have impacted the outcome of the election in multiple states, including Georgia. And according to the indictment, Hall called Jeffrey Clark on January 2nd, and they spoke for over an hour. And that very same day, Clark tried to get 
acting U.S. Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen and acting U.S. Uh, Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue to send the letters to several Georgia officials, including the governor, Brian Kemp, after he spoke to Hall for 60 minutes, plus 63 minutes. And in testimony before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, this is the Senate Judiciary in 2021, Donahue and Clark, Donahue said that Clark tried to use a conversation he had with some individual from Georgia as just a justification for sending the letter. That person's name is not mentioned in the transcript, but is described by Donahue as a bail bondsman. So he might have had a role to play in one of the overt acts that that letter, Jeffrey Clark's, wanted to send to Georgia. So those are all the sorts of things that Scott Hall is involved in. This guy could be a treasure trove of information. Um, and, and again, not just for Fulton County, but perhaps the feds as well. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they'd reached out to him. Yeah. And if you want further evidence of what sort of judgment Jeffrey Clark has a person, the Jeffrey Clark who would have been potentially the attorney general and still may be the attorney general in the next Trump administration, spending 63 minutes on a call with a Georgia bail bondsman and then using that to try and justify sending letters, you know, using it with the with the real acting attorney general and deputy attorney general, how, how somebody could go through a career and not have the sort of judgment inside their head to understand that, well, maybe I need to vet who this person is. Maybe I need to try and understand where they are in the scheme of things, what the basis of knowledge is. And before I go up and talk to the highest levels of government to spend all, put all my credibility in the hands of this one guy, I mean, it's it's a, no wonder this guy was like intrigued with the idea that Chinese-made thermostats were doing, all, you know, God knows what and, you know, foreign efforts to, to change votes. Whatever we can see about his judgment and ability to take information and assign any sort of credibility or, or credulity to the information is sorely lacking. And I just, he's the, he's the I mean, I want to say he's the weirdo out of all this, but there's so, I mean, Sidney Powell is bizarre. There's so many odd characters, it, it truly is, you know, team weird or, or whatever the, you know, team normal versus, you know, it, it just that so many folks all come together and that so many folks are all now charged and you look at their behavior and you say, God, this, this is absurd. But yet <laughs> they were at the so they were at the center of these efforts to overturn the election. They were the ones who had Trump's ear going into the final days of his presidency. And it just is it, it, when you look at the just the horizon of all these different folks, it, it just it, it, it strikes me as it would be absurd if it weren't so alarming and potentially dangerous. And then completely unrelated to that. I mean, the, the reason when you have the judge quoting Monty Python, that just just another reason to like, uh, you know, Judge McAfee, right? I mean, he, and, and we talked about this last week, watching his sort of the way he is running the, the, the pretrial motions, the hearings, whether in Zoom or in person, just a very measured, super competent and not, you know, quoting Monty Python, you know, okay. So now we go to 11 out of 10, but I, I just, uh, you know, I think it's, I've been well, super impressed, continue to be impressed uh, with Judge McAfee. Yeah. Uh, same, uh, same. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, the opposite of Judge Eileen Cannon. Uh, if you will. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. Don't get me started. Yeah. On, uh, I won't get you started. Cannon. I know actually our, this, this week's episode of Jack, the current episode that's out now is a tale of two judges and it's the juxtaposition between judge Chutkin and judge Cannon um, and what's going on in those two courtrooms. It's very, very different 
Uh, and I, I'm very glad, not just for justice's sake, that we have these parallel cases running so that, you know, we can have some sort of it, if it, I'm glad it's not just Judge Cannon, because I would be really pissed. Uh, all right, we have a lot more to get to. We have all sorts of interesting like one off stories, but we do have to take a quick break. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Welcome back. We've got some more patrons to thank. Carol Affleck, Amanda Tucky, Jojo Preswood, Mark G. Davis, Kangaroo B. Stoned, Edward Miller, Garrick Baker, No Name, Penny Pingriffin, Angel at 570, Allison Myers, Eork, Barb, Lauren Dobson, Denise Bram, and Fred Marino. Thank all of you so, so very much. Uh, you can't express enough how much your support means to the program and getting this done. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, in addition to getting these all uh, ad free, as Allison noted, you get the the bonus episodes where we go uh, beyond the sort of topics of the, of the podcast to dive into issues that are going on uh, during the week. So thank all of you so very, very much for your support. Uh, deeply, deeply appreciate it. So let's go back up, uh, Allison, to uh, New York, where Trump filed to dismiss the Manhattan, New York DA's falsification of business records. And then Trump also decided like, hey, you know what? 
I'm going to voluntarily uh, move to dismiss my lawsuit against Michael Cohen and the suit against uh, Ingrun. You know, surprisingly enough, one would strongly potentially assume that that was being driven by the fact that Trump was staring down a deposition uh, by Cohen in that lawsuit, even though Trump is the one who brought the suit as part of discovery. Cohen is entitled to depose Trump. That was on the books. And I would be highly surprised if the things that Trump would have to say and or take the fifth under oath in that lawsuit was nothing that he wanted to do. So shockingly enough, he he moved to dismiss that lawsuit. And then, of course, you know, the uh, talking about Rudy's troubles in his financial state, the IRS put a lien on Rudy's apartment because, guess what? Rudy has about $550,000, half a million dollars in unpaid taxes. So the IRS said, you know what? We're going to just uh, put a lien on this. And because we're the government, we're going to add our name on the you owe us side of the ledger along with uh, attorneys and other folks who are suing Rudy. It is just, uh, it, it, this is not going to end well for Rudy. When you look at the scope of things that he is facing, whether it's lawsuits from attorneys, whether it's the IRS trying to get money, whether it's Shane Moss and Ruby Freeman, who have already been found to, you know, have already won. Their, mm-hmm. their lawsuit, and now we're moving into the phase of figuring out what the damages are going to be. Rudy owes so much money for so many to so many people on top of the fact of he's got to pay for his criminal defense attorneys down in Fulton County because they're the ones who are going to potentially keep him out of jail. Yep. Costello, we got Dunphy suing him, his former assistant. I think there's a Smartmatic, maybe a Dominion yep. lawsuit out there. I mean, he's got, he's taken it from all sides right now, and it's kind of a it's an interesting to watch. Yeah. And, you know, again, the, the, the IRS, you know, much like they do with Roger Stone, going after getting uh, getting him to pay uh, those un, unpaid taxes, which, you know, kind of unlike Hunter Biden, which is seems to be a, a very aggressive path to try and collect, uh, well, you know, whether it's an IRS violation, you know, of course, the, the gun charges and whether or not those are even constitutional that he's been charged with. We'll see how that all plays out. But talking about Hunter Biden... <laughs> the House, of course, you know, the, the <laughs> James Comer, we're, James, we're going to find out. We're about to find out Comer. Uh, oh, well, yeah, what's your evidence? Few, so we're going to look into yeah, that. We're going to find we're gonna that We're going to look out. into that. <laughs> last week had an extraordinary backfire during the impeachment inquiry last week, which even Republicans were saying, and this is their quote, an unmitigated disaster. And the conservative lawmakers fixated on impeaching President Biden, they're trying to regroup, still hopeful that they can convince the public that despite their own witnesses claiming otherwise, there in fact does have, there must be some sort of evidence that'll justify the impeachment proceedings. Now, (laughs) part of this is the GOP investigators are running the show and they're planning to regain the public's trust. Now, wait for this, getting it in part through testimony from a person they've been holding up as their star fact witness, who's a former associate of Hunter Biden named Tony Bobolinsky. Now, if Bobolinsky testifies at this month's scheduled hearing, and you know James Comer again indicated that while well, we're going to do that, it's not clear to me that he's going to fit the, the the mold of the hero of the upstanding key star witness that Republicans are going to have in store for him. Because as it turns out, Bobolinsky actually has a history as a spiteful litigant, including get this, including suing his own cancer-stricken father, stepmother. And their esteemed local children's charity for nine hundred thousand dollars. 
In their emails, text messages, and other documents that paint Bobolinsky as a volatile and self-serving manipulator with an explosive tipper. God, who, who, who else does that remind you of? But the point being, <laughs> this information is out there. There are plenty of people on the other side of the aisle, whether it's Dan Goldman, Jamie Raskin, Jerry Connolly, uh, you know, uh, 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 Moskowitz. Just there are plenty of people, whichever committee this falls into, whether it's the impeachment in the, in the House Judiciary Committee or whether they pawn it off on the Weaponization Committee, there are any number of extraordinarily competent Democratic representatives who will have this information and more. And if they are so stupid and pass you know, past behavior being the best predictor of future behavior, they're absolutely going to wheel them out. This is just going to be yet another stumbling, devastating, horrible performance by the Republicans. And again, just demonstrating yet again, this impeachment inquiry is absolutely based on nothing. And again, it's mm-hmm. not who who is who is Bobolinsky related to? President Joe Biden? No, 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 no. The person they're trying to impeach? No, no, no. He's related to Hunter Biden. So mm-hmm. it, 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 there is no, it's, it's, it, it's in a, a, the um, trying an um, proxy impeachment by the president's son is going horribly. It's going to continue to go horribly. And I prayed, James Comer, proud representative from Kentucky, please, please, it's like Br'er Rabbit, please throw me back in the briar patch. Please just call Tony Bobolinsky. Let's see how this works out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they can ask questions like, isn't it true, Mr. Bobolinsky, that you physically assaulted your father when he had cancer and then after he died two days later, uh, continued your lawsuit against his wife? Like, it's bad. This guy is bad news. (laughs) And they've got it all. Text messages, emails, everything. Uh, Documents. It's, it's, I, it'll be interesting to see whether they bring this guy up. I, I, maybe they'll do a thing Allison, like remember- Allison, is is there not is I'm going to swear and I normally save this for the bonus episode is there not one fucking GS7 on the majority staff on the House Judiciary Committee who is capable of looking at the fucking social media landscape and saying just like you did hey boss maybe it's not a good idea to bring this person as a witness because we are going to have our ass handed to us, just like we did with the Twitter files, just like we did with the IRS whistleblowers, just like we did with the FBI whistleblowers, just like we have at every single turn of our quote-unquote investigative process. Is there not a $50,000 a year staffer who is capable of doing that? Maybe they'll Republican? maybe they'll do this thing where they where they uh, you know drag them in like they did with the Twitter uh, executives, where they go in and make statements, but Democrats aren't allowed to ask questions. Or maybe they'll uh, interview them behind closed doors, and Comer won't even show up, right? Because he never does, and it's just the staffers. And then they can take you know cherry picked bits of testimony and and put them out to the public until you know, a couple weeks later when we get the actual transcript and can debunk it all again. I mean, that's. They have to be considering other things than putting him on pub on the stand in public on C-SPAN so that the Democrats can ask him these questions. But we'll see. We'll see what they end up doing. It's like James James Comer and his entire congressional service as a cautionary tale. Watch mm-hmm. what he does, kids, and do the opposite, and you will be well served. I, <laughs> let's let's go. Let's go. That's all I got to say. Let's go. Bring him on. I'm hundred percent with you. All right, we have a couple more stories to get to, but we need to take one last quick break. We'll be back in a second. Stick around. 
Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. We have more patrons to thank. These are our Hall of Fame patrons. So thank you very, very much to Devil Went Down to Georgia. He was looking for an election to steal. He was in a bind. He was way behind by 11,780 votes. Thank you to you and to Star Lennis. Sharon uh, Tikulski, at Dirt Road Dems, follow them, Dr. David, and Karen Sherman. You are our Hall of Famers. Thank you so much. You make the show go. We appreciate you. Again, if you want to be a patron, patreon.com slash aisle45pod. All right, from Rolling Stone. Okay, so we had the Michigan electors indicted by the Michigan Attorney General. We had the Fulton County electors and a bunch of other people investigated and then indicted by the Fulton County DA. And that's when I said, Pete, if you remember, all eyes on Arizona, because in January of this year, we had a changing of the guard, right? We got Mays, we got Katie Hobbs, we got we got a whole new, you know, a whole new state leadership this January. And this past May uh, is when an investigation was launched into Arizona election interference in 2020 by Trump worlds. And this is from Rolling Stone. Prosecutors in Arizona are probing the extent to which Donald Trump and his allies were still working behind the scenes to reverse the results of the 2020 presidential election years into Joe Biden's presidency. This is a continuing pattern of behavior. According to two people with knowledge, investigators with the Arizona Attorney General's office are asking about efforts to overturn the election that continued 
well into 2021 and 2022. Sources say that investigators have asked about a 2022 pressure campaign from Trump allies aimed at decertifying the 2020 electors and inquired about how deeply the former president and his senior advisors were involved in supporting Arizona Republicans' privately run Cyber Ninjas Idiot Carnival 2021 election audit. Find the bamboo implanted into the paper ballots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that is going on. It's going on in earnest. That that investigation kicked off in May. Uh, And so now we know that uh, it took about a year and a half in in uh, Michigan took about two, two and a half years down in Georgia. They've been working on this for about half a year, if that. So, but they're, they're going forward full steam ahead. So we'll keep an eye on that for you because I think that we will see indictments in Arizona and from ABC news. This is fun. I think this is funny. Nancy Marks, former treasurer for the embattled rep, George Santos Uh, And his campaign, she pled guilty Thursday to a federal conspiracy charge. Now, Nancy Marks allegedly filed the names of fake donors to Santos's congressional campaign. Federal prosecutors said she did so to inflate the amount of campaign donations that Santos appeared to have amassed so that he could qualify for national party support. You need to make a certain amount of money from donors to get national party support. So they faked it, and she admitted to it, and that's a conspiracy charge. He is not yet charged for this particular conspiracy. However, he may be. There are a couple of docket entries missing, (laughs) I noticed. There could be a sealed indictment against George Santos for this. Now, her attorney, Raymond Perini, said his client does not have a formal cooperation agreement with the government in place, but says if they subpoena her, she will, quote, do the right thing. So this is somewhat of a kind of a Weisselberg situation, right? Like uh, he, they'll subpoena her. She will testify. She's pled guilty. Uh, and I, you know, we'll see, we'll see what this ends up do, creating. But I would look very closely and very hotly for some superseding George Santos indictments. Yeah, and keep in mind, I mean, Santos doesn't have the juice that Donald Trump does. I mean, Trump may be able to hold some sort of power and thrall over uh, Weisselberg, and certainly anybody affiliated or associated with Trump may be looking at the 2024 election and federal charges and saying, well, if Trump's elected, he's going to be able to pardon me. George Santos ain't pardoning anybody. George Santos is going to be lucky to send a thank you card to any of these folks by the time he is done with this. So I don't... And he's not paying for anybody's lawyers either. The the incentive to like, oh, I... I'm going to take a bullet for George Santos. Come on. Nobody is taking a bullet for George Santos at all. So, uh, you know, the fact I'm with you, I think there is a lot going on. I am. And there was, remember, there was a joint uh, motion to continue a hearing, to postpone a hearing by both parties, by both the government and Santos' side saying, hey, look, Your Honor, we want an additional time. And sort of reading the tea leaves, the inference was that they might be close to some sort of plea deal. So I haven't, that was that was certainly, I think, a few weeks ago at this point. That doesn't mean, I mean, things take time. New information comes up as a result of follow-on investigation. I assume that, you know, plea negotiations are ongoing, but I don't think just looking in what is known publicly in the public charges against Santos, I would be shocked if there were not more. And again, to the point of 
Oppo, Republican Oppo research found this, right? There's some indication at least Stefanik knew about this, but they said, screw it. Let's go ahead with our guy. Let's get him in. And again, to the, to the earlier comment about the number of just crazy people running around this entire enterprise, just add one more half-baked, God knows who the hell he is and what his story is, but apparently if you can indict a hand sandwich, you can elect a George Santos. And we'll see this again, much like Rudy, you know, George, George will presumably get out of jail and have some reasonable life left in front of him. Unlike I think what is going to happen to Rudy Giuliani, but the two of them, there's several folks. I mean, whether it's George, whether it's Rudy, whether I think Sidney Powell's in the same boat, there are some folks that it's like, Ooh, they're just not, they're the guy on the away party in Star Trek where they beam down to the surface. They're wearing the red shirt, right? You know, they are going to end poorly. Yeah, everybody who didn't get a, a, a offer for a plea deal in, in Fulton County, all of them and George Santos, you burnt. Like, <laughs> you're a red shirt. Uh, and it's 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 real. And but, but here's, you know, they could be working with him. They might have found the, they might be pressing him with these superseding charges. Maybe couldn't reach a deal. Maybe filed the charges. Uh, they haven't been announced if they did file the charges. Uh, maybe they have additional, like you said, ongoing conversations with this new, maybe this is new before, you know, we found out that those, the, the joint motion was filed to sort of delay the next hearing in the case. Um, and maybe this came after that. And now there's additional talks or, oh, hey, you know, a little Columbo, uh, one more thing, you know, they might be having that discussion uh, with Santos's lawyers as well. But uh, he's still walking around confident, chipper, dickhead you know uh, and uh, that's gonna that they're gonna wipe that smile off his face one way or another this is allison gill with some breaking news uh yeah a couple days after we recorded this podcast some breaking news happened george santos has been hit with that superseding indictment in the eastern district of new york taking him from 13 felony counts to 23 it was just five days ago that I retweeted Marcy Wheeler that George Santos may have already been superseded after his former campaign treasurer pled guilty to conspiracy, admitting she fraudulently inflated his campaign contributions in order to get National Republican Party support. And you can't conspire by yourself. He was facing 13 felony counts. Those original 13 were seven counts of wire fraud, three counts of money laundering, one count of theft of public funds, and two counts of making materially false statements to the House of Representatives. But now he faces 10 more for a total of 23. The 10 new counts that have been added include one count of conspiracy to commit, commit offenses against the United States, two counts of wire fraud, two counts of making material fa materially false statements to the FEC, two counts of falsifying records to obstruct the FEC, two counts of aggravated identity theft, and one count of access device fraud. This is from the DOJ website. Quote, as alleged, Santos is charged with stealing people's identities and making charges on his own family members' credit cards without their authorization, lying to the FEC and, by extension, the public about the financial state of his campaign. Santos falsely inflated the campaign's reported receipts with non-existent loans and contributions that were either fabricated or stolen. Specifically, the purpose of the scheme was to ensure that Santos and his campaign qualified for a program administered by the National Party Committee, pursuant to which the National Party Committee would provide financial and logistical support to Santos's campaign. 
To qualify for the program, Santos had to demonstrate, among other things, that his congressional campaign had raised at least $250,000 from third-party contributors in a single quarter. Santos and Marx agreed to falsely report to the FEC that at least 10 family members of Santos and Marx had made significant financial contributions to the campaign, when Santos and Marx both knew that these individuals had neither made the reported contributions nor given authorization for their personal information to be included in such false public records. In addition, understanding that the National Party Committee relied on FEC fundraising data to evaluate candidates' qualifications for the program, Santos and Marx agreed to falsely report to the FEC that Santos had loaned the campaign significant sums of money when, in fact, Santos had not made the reported loans and, at the time the loans were reported, did not have the funds necessary to make the loans. The false reported loans included a $500,000 loan when Santos had less than $8,000 in his personal and business bank accounts combined. All right, that's it. That's the breaking news. Thanks again for listening to Clean Up on Aisle 45. Uh, I think a plea deal is, is would be the best. If I were advising George Santos, I would take a plea. I would plead out um, and see if I could avoid jail, um, but maybe resign or something. But I don't think he's going to avoid jail. These charges are heavy. They've got him dead to rights. They don't need him for to roll on anybody. He's the top dog in this investigation. So that's kind of the way I see it. Right. And I don't, I mean, the thing that he, if there were some sort of like, hey, who approached you to run? Who told, what did they tell you? Did they tell you you could line up funding? I, you know, what he has to provide in that regard, I, I don't know that it is so, I mean, we're absolutely completely speculating at this point, but I don't think there is, this is not something like down in Fulton County or what Jack Smith is looking at where you want lower level cooperators to point to what a high level official you know, not even Donald Trump, but, uh, you know. Well, like Jeffrey Clark and the Scott Hall phone call, right? Yeah. Right. This is, Santos doesn't, I don't think there is a deep, complex story there other than, you know, a, a Republican Party who was scrambling to find a candidate and found somebody who allegedly was so completely unsavory and willing to, you know, say anything to try and get elected. I, I, I don't know what Santos gives up, whether or not he avoids uh, jail, whether or not he'd be willing to agree to resign and, you know, whether or not that would, I, we'll see. And again, this is, it's funny for all the discussion of Menendez that's going on on the Senate side, which again, granted Menendez's alleged behavior in my mind is horrible uh, in terms of its impact on national security compared to anything that Santos did. But, you know, it, it would be curious. There are some questions about, you know, who did fund Santos, uh, whether or not there was any sort of foreign money that was coming in there. That would be interesting to find out. But I just don't think Santos, when you when you approach the government for a plea, there's got to be something in it for the government. The government doesn't let you plea just to like, you know, to be nice. I mean, ideally, it's, you know, at a minimum, it's to, you know, cut the the impact on prosecutorial uh, resources that could be used elsewhere, but they're not just going to let you go out of the goodness of their heart. No. And when you're recruiting for MAGA, when you're recruiting for coup stuff, there's going to be criminals. So that's why we get the bottom of the barrel, the Sidney Powell's, the George Santos's, the the absolute, like you said, fucking weirdos that, <laughs> that um, like in any kind of regular order of government, you would never see any of these people anywhere close to it. And that's why all of the uh, the attorneys like Hirschman and Cipollone and and Philbin were disinvited to these meetings and only folks like Lynn Wood and Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell were allowed to advise him on these things. 
Um, and, and that's why you end up seeing candidates like, like George Santos. So, uh, or even what the indicted, what the, the, the whistleblower indicted for the weaponization committee testimony, like you're just not going to get the best, um, when you're trying to coup. And that's, that's, I think the bottom line and, uh, boy, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. They really are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're in, you know, we're, we're seeing the result of it. And again, that, the, 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 again, it's so so pervasive and i just i still can't quite get my head around every time you know and we sit and we talk about it and we're talking about individual cases and you know again <laughs> huge whiteboards trying to track all the different moving moving pieces but every now and then when you just step back and you look at how much and again we're talking here about the stuff you know outside of the federal system but when you add all the federal cases against trump there is so much alleged crime it just you know all over the place too it, it it is difficult to fathom. We have never seen anything like this as a nation. I hope we never see anything like it again. But it, it just again it you know gives us something to to talk about and go through each week. But at some point, you know, when the final sort of chapter on all this is written, I think it is going to be so hard to succinctly sort of summarize how broad and how bad it was and how incompetent and inept and mediocre so many of the people were who were key players in all of it. Yeah, I sometimes, yeah, I think I tweeted about that. Like every once in a while, I'll step back from the details and I'll be like, holy shit, Our, the leader of the Republican Party is a fraud, a rapist, uh, you know, a sexual assaulter, 91 felony counts. Uh, it's the, the the Speaker of the House has been ousted. You know, Matt Gates is now saying that uh, behind closed doors, apparently, that that the impeachment into Joe Biden is is baseless and stupid. Uh, of course, that's because he's being cawthorned by his fellow Republicans in in the House, coming out and saying grinding he's up, crushing, yeah, grinding up, up Viagra and chasing it with a Red Bull, and you know bragging yeah. about that on the floor of the House. So um, disgusting. We'll, we'll see more of that, I'm sure. And it's just the whole party is imploding, and yet somehow it's still a horse race uh, in the media. It just it blows my it blows in my mind, and that is why. You listen to Clean Up on L45. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening this week. We'll be back again this weekend with the bonus episode for patrons uh, swearing up a storm about something. Um, you can guarantee it. Uh, I don't have any final thoughts. Do you have any, my friend? Yeah, just kind of a, a completely unreloaded side note. Just a, you know, thoughts and, and prayers. I, I'm sure everybody's watching closely a lot of the things that are unfolding with the, the Hamas attack on into Israel and, and so many innocent lives lost. And I fear a lot of innocent lives to be lost uh, in the future. But uh, just it's, it's heartbreaking. I know uh, many listeners probably know or have uh, folks that they are close to who are involved in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, just thinking about all of them and, uh, you know, got them in uh, just, uh, you know, it's a, a terrible situation. So it, it's, you know, not the topic of this uh, podcast at all, but would be remiss not to sort of draw a little bit of attention to that and just the human cost of what is going on and what has already occurred and just the just horrific, uh, deadly violence that has gone on and I, I think is going to come. So, Yeah, it can't go unsaid, right? Um, condemning the violence. It's abhorrent what we've been seeing and hearing. Um, and so hearts go out. So thank you. Thank you very much. We will be back in your ears this weekend and, of course, back next week. 
Uh, everybody check out the Daily Beans and the Jack podcast if you haven't already. I've been Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Struck. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.